Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid, so scared to do what I wanted. In looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made, and I wish that I Talk to me and tell me I can change. <clears throat> Don't be afraid. Just walk with your head up high. Don't be afraid. Just take it one step at a time. Don't give up on your dreams, no matter how small. Hi, welcome to Blog Talk Radio. Safe Recovery, this is Monica and I'm your host. Today is December 20th, 2011. So today we have a really great guest on, Gabrielle Glaser, who is an author and a reporter. She's worked uh, as a columnist. She worked at the Oregonian um, and she is a freelance writer and she has a new book coming out. And she had a couple of books before, The Nose, a profile, a profile of Sex, Beauty, and Survival, and another book, Strangers to the Tribe, Portraits of Interfaith Marriage. Uh, I'm going to bring Gabrielle on right now. Here we go. Hi there. Hi. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Well, you know, a little crazy. We're running around. My, uh, uh, well, it's that, it is that time of year, and it's definitely, I'm on the East Coast, and it is already dark. It's also the, I think it's the sh- is today or tomorrow the shortest day of the year. Oh, yeah. I think it, it's either tomorrow or the next day, right? It's the 21st or the 22nd. Yeah. Anyway, oh, it is glad. the... <laughs> we'll have longer days from here on in, right? Exactly. It's 5.02 here, and it's already just pitch black. So. Oh. oh, it's still really sunny here. So, uh... I am so happy to have you on. I can't wait for your new book. So, oh well, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, it's my pleasure. It's been such a great uh, journey getting to know you, and I feel like I've known you for a long, long time. I know. Yeah. So, what is the working title of this new book? The working title of the book is called Uncorked. The Secret History of America, well, The Secret History of Women and Drinking in America, we're still playing around with the subtitle, but um, mm. essentially it it started, I've been a writer who covers medicine and, and how it kind of um, crosses into culture for most of my career, mm-hmm. and about two and a half years ago, I started noticing that there was a lot more in the news about women and drinking. And it seemed to be all around me. It was either binge drinking of college girls or binge drinking of high school girls or more women going into rehab. And I thought, hmm, I wonder wonder what that's about. And Mm -hmm. a friend of mine who's an editor at a publishing house, I've written books, and we started talking about it and, and decided it was worth worth an exploration and as I started exploring and it's kind of how you and I got to know each other I realized not only were women drinking more because of some of the the enormous pressures that we face basically trying to do everything I don't want to sound like a a a big complainer but you know we we have a lot to do as 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 women today more than women in many generations prior there was a lot more pressure and mm. but in addition to that one of the, the the ways one of the things that i discovered was how the treatment industry just simply doesn't 
it's it's not good for women, not good at all. In fact, it's it's actively the the 12-step industry is actively mm-hmm. harmful to them, which is something that, you know, many of, of of you and your listeners have known for a long time, but I think to people who are outside that world, um it comes as a huge surprise. Yeah, on that note, there was a the problem that had happened in Nutley one of the women who, you know, has a Ph.D. in music and who was sexually harassed outside her house because of the people going to that meeting in that neighborhood, there's no parking lot at that church. Mm-hmm. She said that when, you know, his super educated, I think in her maybe late 30s, I may be wrong, I can't remember, maybe early 40s, thought that AA and NA meetings were run by a professional leader or a professional, um, what do you call it, when somebody, a facilitator. Right. Mm-hmm. So when she found out that not only was there nobody in charge, that there was no facilitator like there is at SMART or at other groups like Women in for Sobriety, I don't know what SOS does, but she was blown away. Yeah, I think most people are in, in the same way that if you you ask, you know, if you ask somebody and say, "Well, gee, you know, are you aware of the?" And I myself was 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 this ignorant. Um, are you aware of the success rates of twelve step programs? Are you aware of the the um, yearly? You know, I don't even really like to use the word sober because I think it's a word that really comes with a, a big, um, it, it's got a lot of baggage to it. But yeah, you know, are, yeah. you, are you aware of how many people start AA in January and are still there in December? Let's just put it that way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people who are, you know, I live just outside New York and people are, even if they don't know everything, they think they know everything. And people yeah. will literally argue with me and say, oh, it's 50% easily. And if I'll say, gosh, no, it's 5%. I mean, I've literally had people who have absolutely no relationship to, you know, drinking problems whatsoever, literally said, oh, that's impossible. That's just impossible. It helped my uncle, and it helped somebody else I know. And, you know, you wouldn't say that to somebody who had heart disease. You wouldn't say, "Oh, well, they just cut meat out of their diet and they're fine now." You, it helped my uncle and it helped my my neighbor. You wouldn't you wouldn't say that, you know. You just it, simply wouldn't wouldn't respond with an anecdote for any other medical or physical problem. Yeah, I I, I went to X Steppers, uh, which is another site that I don't, uh, you know. Anyway, I went over there and I was reading some of the posts, and they were kind of fighting about you know this whole disease thing and how. Um, you know, it's not a disease, it's a behavior. Mm-hmm. And when I got sober, because I don't like to use mm-hmm. hardly any of the words anymore, because that word means like sane and soundness of mind, and there's many people in the program who have are abstinent who are absolutely uh, criminal. They're, you right. know, they're crazy. Exactly. And, and they're, I'm, you know, for, yeah. for many reasons, I, I mean, I agree with you, but there are, you know, even more reasons that I don't, you know, that I, but yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I just think that, you know, my, my journey and your journey. So it was your. We could go back to yours, but I was really kind of blown away myself to find out. And I think when it gets personal, when you have a child or a family member uh, who starts to drink, you know, too much or out of control, to go and see what I saw, and I was a member. Okay, right. Right. So, then I go into a meeting place because I didn't know either. I knew I never felt it was a disease because when I when I joined AA thirty over over thirty something years ago, nobody said it was a disease because there were no treatment centers. But like Hazelton existed, and it still hadn't gotten into the government and into a thing where they were going to pay for all this stuff. And then they were going to they all saw how much money was to be made. I remember AA members actually getting excited that this was someday going to be wow we can make you know our living this way and all this other stuff. Wow. But for somebody who was actually, you know, in the program where I was, you know, to go to a meeting where I was horrified by what I saw. Mm -hmm. And people that, you know, I do think the word needs to get out that no one should ever drop anyone, your wife or your sister, um, and that even meetings that look okay 
could be a part of the cult spinoff of the Pacific Group out of Los Angeles. And that's mm-hmm. a very bad thing, too, because they'll tell you who to marry, and they will, you know, there's a lot of other bad things. But So the beginning of this book for you, getting back to that, uh, mm-hmm. is that you started to see this in, like, around you and in the news, and you went, what's up with this, right? Right, and then actually I started going to, I went to, I, I mean, I really followed the rules. I'm I'm a, a, a normal drinker, and I, I, I don't, you know, I mean, like anybody, I've had times of periods of stress in my life where I think, ah, I poured myself an extra glass of wine there for a couple of nights a week, and, that, and I woke up not feeling so great and realizing, ah, why am I doing that? Right. And, you know, the the... the the folks at AA would tell and did tell me um, because I, I I spoke to them about it. Well, you're wearing a very dangerous path in your brain, and you know you might you might just go right back to that at some point. I mean, essentially, <laughs> warning me that I was an alcoholic waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I'm not. Mm-hmm. And secondly, when I went to some of these meetings, for me, it seemed it seemed like listening to repeated deep grooves of trauma, you know, just Mm -hmm. the kind of snippets, like fortune cookie snippets of the worst moment of your life and standing up and talking about that again and again. And as somebody who, who, um, you know, I had a postpartum depression. It wasn't a great moment in my life, but once you Mm -hmm. get through that, you know, I was kind of in a, a deep groove of whatever, you know. Right self-pity and hormonal madness, I can't imagine listening to, I can't imagine listening to the other people's terrible stories and my own over and over and over again would have been very helpful for me. It, what was helpful was going to a doctor and talking to a doctor about it and actually, you know what, getting medication, which is something that exists for people who are struggling with alcohol dependence, and it's that is a, 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 a treatment that has been used and is a standard of care all around the developed world, except this one. Right. And how and, long did that, that postpartum last for you? Um, I'd say about I'd say about a year. And I didn't, you know, here's something that's kind of tangential, but I didn't believe I was depressed. I thought that my anxiety that I had about something terrible happening to my kid that happened after my second daughter was born, and I believed that 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 was just normal, that it was just absolutely normal to, to feel this way, to wake up with a racing heart and imagine the absolute worst at every moment, you know, like they were going to, like crazy things too, like something well, terrible was gonna, you know, like something terrible that was so unlikely to happen. I mean, it sounds so crazy, but at one point I thought that, you know, one of my kids was gonna get put in the washing machine. I mean, the, the, I, the, I sound like floridly psychotic to even uh, well, say that. How old is she now? She's sixteen. Wow. That well, one is sixteen. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's that's. The, it doesn't necessarily relate to our topic, but I was helped with a professional. I mean, the point is I was helped by a professional and not somebody who necessarily was also had been through postpartum depression. Maybe that would have been helpful in terms of support, yeah, but not necessarily in my treatment. No, I think so. I mean, difference? I certainly went with some with my first child and went into therapy, and that's what helped me. I didn't need to take any medication, but... I, de- I definitely needed like weekly therapy, and I st- started to stay away from uh, meetings. I went to ve- much fewer meetings and attended uh, Al-Anon. But looking back, uh, threw myself into therapy and reading books by Harville Hendricks and you know how to get the love you want and just different stuff. Way of looking at even the way people communicated on, on what you're talking about now, the way that it's very I hate using this word, narcissistic, but it's very self-absorbed, the way that people share at meetings and without the crosstalk, that it's very unhealthy. Um, yeah, that's also very an interesting point, is that to yeah. me it sounded, it, uh, as much as it, as, it, as it purports to be a fellowship, it seemed to be kind of each person was a universe of one. They mm-hmm. would 
stand up and it also felt, I went to many meetings, you know, probably about 12 all yeah. across the country. You know, I'm from the West Coast. I, I, I um, went to meetings in Napa Valley in the wine country, which was interesting, where people yeah. literally are, are, you know, surrounded by the very product that, surrounded and producing the very product that, um, you know, is their, they see as their downfall. Um, but really, everywhere, the tenor of the meetings was was. In some places it was gentler. In some places it was, um, you know, there was one meeting I went to that was like a people sat in on yoga mats on the floor, but mm. people were together in a room and they were holding hands during a prayer, but they weren't necessarily um, they weren't necessarily communing. It really sounded as if they were just talking. And, and I don't mean to, to, to demean anybody's sense of healing out of it, but m- my impression again and again and again was just the, the, the bewilderment. How in the world does this help anybody? How that's right, does this that's help right. anybody? Um, I just want to say, anyone listening in, I'm talking with Gabrielle Glasser, who is just finishing, finishing up a new book that's going to be called Uncorked with some more title to it um and so now when i how did you find dd stout i saw i started talking to people who were not in the 12-step industry they were therapists um a pair of psychologists in um los angeles actually their names are ed wilson and mary ellen barnes they're in rancho palos verdes and I went mm-hmm. to see them as part of yeah. my reporting. Uh-huh. And they said, oh, there's one thing you really have to see. It's this Penn and Teller um, oh. episode that Perfect. takes on AA. So I watched I watched it, and then I Googled her, and I got in touch with her by email. And, and you know, I would manage somehow to see her every time I came to Northern California. Yeah. So that's how, that's how we met. And, that's, that's, and she introduced me to you, so... Right, and that's how we met. So, and so I'd love to because I do know this part of the story, but I'd like our listeners to know. So, you begin the research. So, how did how did you first propose to write this book? What was it going to be about in the beginning? the The book initially was going to be about how how and why women are drinking more. Purportedly, you know, Americans know because of our very, very, very strange history with alcohol, with the whole history of prohibition and the history of women being behind prohibition. I was really intrigued by how we somehow had gotten from Carrie Nation, who was a a, um, a, a prohibitionist woman, really she was probably bipolar. I mean, she was she was really manic. She would she would wander around the Midwest, especially the southern southeastern um, Midwest of Kansas and Missouri and um, the north, northeastern part of Texas and smashed saloons with a hatchet, with her axe. And she called it hatchetation. Oh, my God. And, yeah, so she was a nut. And how did we get from Carrie Nation to Carrie Bradshaw? How did we get from knowing that a woman never drank a lady never drank, was never allowed to drink in public, to suddenly these women on Girls Gone Wild. And, mm-hmm. you know, Jersey Shore wasn't, and I guess Jersey Shore was out when I when I wrote the proposal, wrote my proposal. But I rem- remember my grandmother telling me that she could not get a drink if she was by herself, if she and her best friend and her sister were by themselves after work waiting for their husband to meet them at the Elks Club in yeah. Albany, Oregon, where I grew up, they could not get a drink. Really? The bartender would not serve them. Yeah, because, you, you know, you didn't serve a nice, even if you knew her, you did not serve a nice lady a drink, what even was- in the early 1940s. And so I was... Wow. Yeah. And so I was really amazed, just... And I also had to go to Las Vegas. With, I didn't have to go, but I went to Las Vegas with my sister, and I'd never been. And I, I it was kind of like, for me, it was kind of like seeing the movie Avatar. I knew I wasn't going to like it, 
but I had to go anyway. I had to go to see it, you know? I mean, I, I was right. like, I have enough stuff coming at me. I didn't need to see it on screen with 3D glasses. And I felt the right. same way about Las Vegas. It's kind of like Times Square, but in the desert. And right, right. I was just amazed. I was so amazed to see, and again, I mean, it sounds so stupid because I'd never been there, but to see people wandering around with those giant, you know, those giant cups that they walk around with? Yes. On the street? I didn't yeah. know what they were at first. These what year giant, was that? It was like 2009. Oh, okay. I mean, you had never been until then? No, I had never been there. Oh, I had never God. been there. So this, this wow. was all kind of like wandering around in my brain, like, okay. And somehow going to Las Vegas was and seeing these bars where the you know women were getting bars, bottle service, and, and this whole culture... Mm-hmm. And I'm in my 40s, so right. I and I mm-hmm. haven't been in the club scene. I never was in the club scene. So seeing this whole club scene that was so um, kind yeah. of wrapped around the romantic romanticization of of a martini, right? It was just it was just kind of it was fascinating to me because mm-hmm. it was it seemed new. It wasn't something when I was you know in my 20s and the late 1980s. It wasn't quite that. It, it, it wasn't. People were not slamming down cocktails like that. It just was. It was different. They well, were they probably. Were doing, I think they yeah, were. Yeah, I was just gonna say they were probably doing a lot of coke, either, which, I, which was not my, which was not my thing either. But um, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so 80s. it was. It was. So uh, uh, that was one thing that was interesting to me. Also, I have three kids. I have a 19-year-old, a 16-year-old, and a 10-year-old. Yeah. And. The when the 19 year old was a baby, women did not pull out wine bottles at playdates. Mm-hmm. And ten years later, mm. they did. Really? Hey, do you want a little drink? You want a drink for the road? You want a drink? It was. It just seemed like mm. they were drinking all the time, and it was like Jesus Christ! How does anybody get anything done if you're drinking oh. like this? And I like to drink. I just right. don't drink all day. I mean, I just. You know, I'm I'm not yeah. constantly drinking. I guess that's the difference. Yeah. So that was the background for why, mm. you know, kind of setting this up. And then the proposal landed on my um, editor's desk the same day the toxicology report um, was was released from the accident of a woman named Diane Schuler. Yeah. Are you familiar with that accident? Yeah, I watched she the documentary. Was, mm-hmm. Yeah. That yeah. was very, very sad. That was yeah, very, really very sad. sad. So, yeah. So, wow. And then you, the thing I thought was funny uh, was like, okay, so then you started to look around what was available uh, for women when they felt like they had a problem and where that Exactly. Was. Yeah, I love right. that. So, one of the, so if, if women felt as if they had a problem, it, typically because of the way um, 12-step treatment and AA have presented themselves, by the way, which is masterful, in this, in in our society, in American society, the first thing that people think of, or that they know of, you know, to do is to go to AA. They go to AA meetings, and mm-hmm. or they will check into a rehab that they've heard of, you know, whether it's Hazelden or or, you know, like Amy Lee Coy. I know you had her on the show before. Yeah. She went to a number of of. Um, um, well-known 12-step places in California, and that's kind of what people know about. They don't necessarily know that it has a very poor success rate, very low success rate, and they don't... It's such a shameful problem, and it's so stigmatized in this country that you just kind of want to stay under the radar. And AA allows you to stay under the radar. In fact, it insists that you stay under the radar. Right. And which, which to me, well, except if you're a famous star, Gabrielle. Okay. Well, exactly. If you're a famous star that you want to like talk about it and like say how great it is. Um, yeah. Then no, because I just did a whole little piece about this that just really pisses me off. You know, with these people who are famous, like, are they still going to meetings? And you know, do they have any idea? Because if they're a star. It's, they're going to get their ass kissed just like they are on the set. Although oh, I do how have interesting. to right. 
screwed over by some AA members, but okay, I'm sorry, it <laughs> went on my tangent there, but <laughs> so people think it's great. Well, Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, interestingly, you know, a, a woman in my town, I live in New Jersey, a woman in my town um, was, and this was also quite striking to me. She, again, I mean, just going back to the, the stigma of being a woman and having an, an alcohol problem. And I don't. I also don't like to use the word alcoholic. Yep. Um, I don't like to use it anymore. So, uh, she, several years ago, three years ago, she announced to her colleagues and to her family and to her community here that she had a problem and she was going to go to rehab. And she went to Promises, and she's hasn't had a drink since. I think maybe she had one day where she had a slip. But um, and again the fact that she had to quote unquote start over according to AA um mm-hmm. because of that one day to me doesn't make any sense at all. Why right. don't you look at the days of a success as opposed to the days of that you know having to start over with the one day where you slipped. It just it yeah. doesn't, it, it's really quite backwards to me, but nevertheless she um discovered that she had breast cancer. Um essentially a day or two after she returned home from rehab. And the support, now meanwhile, she was in rehab for 40 days. She didn't get mm-hmm. a single Pyrex dish of baked ziti from anybody, even though everybody knew she was in rehab. She's got two right. kids and a husband. Right. Nobody said anything because we don't have a language in this culture to say, oh, hey, I hope you're getting better. You know, I'm just here to, to give you support or even on offer to be, you know, to drive the kids to, in carpool. But yeah. when she was in chemotherapy, everybody turned out. She didn't have freezers big enough for the casserole. <laughs> so, but she's also been very outspoken about it. There was a piece about her in the fix, and there was a piece about her on a, you know, on a local website. Mm. And the people in her local meeting in her home group were very angry with her and said, "You know what? You're not humble enough. You're going to come down a bit." Wow. Oh, she's going to find out what she's really like. Yeah, she's going to. So, mm, interesting. Yeah. So, um she's still yeah, and again, yeah. how can that be how can that be helpful to anybody? What woman and this is something else that's that, that struck me, what I, I am allergic to really serious arrogance. And I think many people are. Mm-hmm. But we live in a culture that accepts it a little bit more in men than it does in women. Right. And so I would venture to say, not just venture to say, and I'm certainly this is not my discovery. This was Jean Kirkpatrick's discovery when she she went to AA for years and she founded Women for Sobriety. Right. Um, that, you know what, women don't come to the table feeling terribly powerful and arrogant to start with. Mm-hmm. So when you come and you say, Oh, I'm just, you know, a little old me and I'm 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 powerless over alcohol, I'm powerless over all these other things in my life you know, a lot of people come to the table with that message already. So to to reinforce it doesn't it's not very helpful emotionally to a lot of women. It might be to some, but I haven't met any. I've met a couple. I've met a couple. But um Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was a guy who I, we were talking recently. I can't remember where it was where he said, "Well, when they tried to get him to, you know, do something about the first step, he said, "I already was powerless. I'm not powerless anymore. I, I, I felt that way before I came here. He was talking about going right. to AA. And they were, you How know, trying to make him rewrite the, you know, like the first step, which is was never a part of AA. That's a part of treatment center wanting to charge people fifteen or sixteen or twenty five thousand dollars a month for some idiot person who's just sober with a CAC, you know, license telling you they they wanted they had to create a program from AA. So then then it got into AA where you had to be writing this stuff, but the point about the powerless thing is that you know what? I think it was a blogger. He said the, and then the guy, and the guy who was a sponsor was trying to get him no, you have to go back and write it. He said, "Why? I already felt that way. I've stopped. I'm not powerless anymore." Right. 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 You know, and that's the way, you know, I saw it, but I have a problem with all of it now. So you it, it is it's a big problem, though, as you found, right? Here you're going to write a book about women or 
I always say it's like women who have money who are drinking too much wine trying to find help, and and they're not going to go to AA. And where can they go to get help? And why do you even need to go anywhere, as Amy Lee Goy says in her book? And now we're finding maybe you don't need to go anywhere either. Well, exactly. Now, here here are some some um, here are some of the things that I draw out in in this book that um, there are many doctors in this country who. Well, let me back up. First of all, many doctors, because they're not trained to know about addiction medicine and to know that there are even medications like naltrexone or uh. um, Camprol or um, there's another one, Topiramate, which have been shown to be helpful for people when they are trying to learn how to either moderate or abstain. Now, again, Let's just start. I mean, we need to learn to start from scratch in this country. There's a whole yep. theory of 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 of, of um, research and and science that says rather than telling people they can never drink again as long as they live because it's going to ignite a terrible bender and they'll never mm-hmm. recover from it and it's mm-hmm. just they're going to end up in some terrible bottom. First of all, that's not really actually true. That is based on the anecdotes of 98 people who filled out surveys in the 1930s and 40s, and they were published. 158 people actually um, (laughs) responded to those surveys in the grapevine. 60 of them were tossed out. 60 of them were tossed out, and the whole pattern that you have of knowing that an alcoholic, a real alcoholic, hits bottom, that's based on 98 white guys. It's not based on everybody. It's not based. It's not. It's it's, it's not even science. It's like aren't they weren't they ninety eight guys who are already like really in AA? You know the the person who and Kenneth is he's he's in the chat room right right now. Hi Kenneth. Yes, I was just gonna I was just gonna say and there I was gonna get to the whole point about being you know in harm reduction. There's a whole there's a whole you know field of research and people who believe in something called harm reduction, Mm -hmm. but. You know what? It's much better, and this is how it's done in Europe. It's mm-hmm. much better to, to if you're going to drink, mm-hmm. it's much better to plan ahead for the days on which you're going to drink to figure right. out what your limit is going to be. I'm not saying, oh, go ahead and you know drink until you have no brains. Right. But if you are, isn't it better to do that and plan for it rather than to to just somehow let it happen and and have these terrible feelings of guilt and maybe you're driving yourself and you 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 wind up in a um uh, at some bar where you don't know and you've had six margaritas and and then how are you going to get home? Mhm. That doesn't make sense to me. You know? I mean, I oh, no. I, I it doesn't sorry, I, go ahead. you know my my son told me that in the uh, Culver City High School that in the health class uh the teacher was actually when they got to talk about it was actually telling the kids to visit an AA meeting as part of yeah. it. Yeah, well, oh, that's I'm what, that's what I'm doctors... calling them. Like when the new year starts, I'm going to the PTA and I'm calling the health teachers, and I'm going to have yeah. a meeting with them because oh, I'm gonna, and I need in to. My, at my school, at my school, one of the health teachers is in AA and told kids that if their parents had a drink every night with dinner, they had a problem, wow. and they should come talk to him. Can you believe that? Yeah, they, I mean, it, first it, of all, it, there's no science behind that. There's well, absolutely. I mean, that's not science. Stop, that's though. that's eight yeah. a that that's that's how that's how the message. Even though it may have started with good intentions, and I'm not entirely convinced of that, even if it had started with good intentions, the message has been adulterated and 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 it has taken off in a way that makes absolutely no sense. We come at this from an incredibly moralistic point of view, which is how we got prohibition in the first place. And in my opinion, and I make this point, is that AA is a direct outgrowth, a direct descendant of the prohibition movement itself. And as much as it says, oh, we don't care if anybody drinks alcohol, we just don't want alcoholics to drink alcohol, it's really not true. Right. It it really, it really, it really isn't true. And they believe that, I shouldn't say they, but... Let's just put it this way. Doctors in training in medical school. I interviewed a guy from my book 
who was in medical school in Los Angeles in 2004. And you know what his training was? His rotation through addiction medicine? 2004. Yeah. Medication was approved by the FDA in the mid-'90s and by the World Health Organization. It was promoted as a, as a really effective method in helping people cut their cravings, naltrexone. Yeah. Not 2004, his addiction medicine training was a week in AA. Oh, my God. In 2004. I need to, you know, but Amy and I were talking, you know, she and I had lunch last week, and we're like, you know, there's a group of us that need to be speaking. You know, Kenneth Anderson, you know, you or me and she and, and, and Hank Hayes and somebody from SMART and somebody from SOS and standing in front of, you know, guys that are going to graduate from medical school and people that are going to go out and be therapists and, and judges and lawyers who represent DUIs. That's who needs to be in front of these. There's big conferences. I'm I'm furious about it when I hear this stuff. I'm furious because I know what's going on inside of the culture. And, you know, in, in your book, you start out innocently just digging, right? And, mm-hmm. what, and, and it leads you to me. And it leads it, and 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 that was you know even before I knew about the sexual abuse that happened in AA, yeah. I wondered emotionally. Well, gosh, how does this help somebody? And how does it help somebody to stand up and say, um, "I'm an alcoholic, and I'm always going to be an alcoholic, and this is how alcoholics are." That's like saying, "Oh yeah, you know what? I had postpartum depression, and I'm always going to be depressed, and this is how people mm. who've had postpartum depression are." No, it's not. Right. No, it's not. That was my experience, and that was what happened to me, and I got better. And I'm not going to carry it around for the rest of my life. And you don't call somebody who used to smoke an ex-smoker or a recovering smoker. Right, and right. just the other day, I had to go. I was in the doctor's office, just my, you know, my regular GP. And I looked up, and everywhere I looked, there were you know, ads for medications or, you know, ask us about this medication, Shantix, which helps you quit smoking. Ask us about this. We can help, you know, your insurance company um, will pledge this for you to lose weight. You know, if you need, are you planning on a reducing thing, ask doctor so-and-so about this for weight loss. Not a medication, but, you know, some, so there are all these things that we have in our culture. You can mm. eat too much. Everybody eats too much in this culture. Not everybody, right. but we have the highest rate of obesity in the whole world. I know. We have, you know, smoking cessation programs with no shame attached. Right. If you want to lose weight in this country, Good point. you tell everybody you're on the South Beach diet, you, you're you going to Jenny Craig. You're, I just looked right. at some ad the other day, some piece in the Times the other day. Janet Jackson, um, Mariah Carey can't remember the other one who yeah, oh, yeah. Jennifer so, Jennifer Hudson. what's her name yeah Jennifer yes, Hudson, Jennifer Hudson. And Weight Watchers. okay so mm-hmm. all three of these beautiful women it's completely okay in this culture to say you know what I struggle with my weight right but god forbid you should be an ordinary person and say you know what I've been drinking too much right I need to cut back and I need some help cutting back oh you've got to go to church right, right. for the rest of your life right no, you don't. And I want people to know that. I want, I want, I want people to 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 really learn that. And as you know, it's an uphill battle. It's, it, 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 well, you, there could it, be a sign that it could say, "Now Trexon is available to help stop the cravings," and then a book that is, you know, non-religious. Like, can you imagine going to the dentist and he pulls out a manual for the 1930s, or you go into an office and all the all the equipment is from the 1930s? Exactly. Oh, it, exactly. it works back then, so we don't need to fix it. It's just it works. You don't fix it. That's what they say. Right. No. Right. No. And I like the the doctor who I mentioned who went to to you know AA for his medical school training. He said he couldn't a he couldn't believe it worked. Number one. Number two. He was astonished that in any way it was part of actual medical curriculum. And number three, he said, look, I'm Roman Catholic. I grew up in a fairly religious Midwestern home, Irish Catholic home. I would know more. And he said, I married in the church. My kids were baptized. They're going to go through catechism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I would no sooner bring my faith into helping a guy with his diabetes than I would, you know, fly to the moon. So right. why does this 
apply only in this realm. And some of the greatest harm reductionists, there was a, a, a gentleman, a great scientist, a psychologist named Alan Marlott. I don't know if you've discussed him um, no. on the show. Canadian guy at the University of Washington who passed away earlier this year. And I, he was another one of the first people I spoke to who kind of started shifting my thinking. He said, you know, you might want to look at treatment for women and the statistics. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, okay, well, what works? And he said the first thing he said was, well, we find that harm reduction is really, you know, very successful. And, of course, yeah. people don't even know what that means. And then That's when right. They, I told somebody, and she thinks she's really knowledgeable in this, and she's talking about needles in a park. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I said, right. harm, I'm talking about harm reduction with alcohol and drinking less, like in reducing the harm. Like, I have learned so much from these other people, like Kenneth Anderson and from, you know, all this, from Stanton Peel's book, How to Talk to Your Children About Drinking and Not Raise... Uh, but you know the, the idea, though. Did you in your digging? Because I know there was another guy on Kenneth's show called Richard Wilmot about the mm-hmm. Puritan aspect of America, like even pre-prohibition, with this crazy that you, Americans like don't know how to enjoy anything. So it's like this black and white world of. Well, that's actually quite interesting. We we refer to it as being puritanical, but in fact, the Puritans. First of all, before the 1840s, there wasn't anything to drink besides alcohol. I mean, mm-hmm. we there wasn't safe water. Water could kill you. There, mm-hmm. there wasn't the the notion of 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 clean water that had. I mean, people had their wells next to their latrines, and they died of cholera all the time. In fact, um. one of the greatest impetus, the, a great impetus for going on the Oregon Trail, people from Missouri. Um, were fleeing a cholera epidemic that was going up the Mississippi. But mm-hmm. they didn't know that they were taking the cholera with them because they were dumping their sewage in rivers and then drinking from it. And oh, the people God. who survived, yeah, the people who survived were the people who brought whiskey on the trail and only mm-hmm. drank that. Yeah. So essentially the the, the Puritans themselves, Drank rum before. Ch- I mean, they, they, there were reports from from colonial times that, that showed them drinking rum before church. Mm-hmm. The point was not drinking to drunkenness. The point was drinking as a social thing, staying warm, staying hydrated. Not that there's a lot of hydration in a pint of whiskey, but nevertheless, <laughs> they needed something. And um, when it really changed was during the period of the Great Revival when people were, the frontier was opening up and it gave women, these preachers, these itinerant preachers would come around from these Protestant sects that were really developing and taking off. And they gave one of the reasons that they took off so much was that they gave women a role. These women were working like dogs, mm-hmm. hoeing and cleaning and, you know, plowing and washing, taking care of children, and the preachers promised them. And the men, meanwhile, at least had an outlet of going to the saloon. The women didn't have an outlet of going to the saloon. And the theory is that the men were drinking themselves into stupors and um, um, spending all their money on, on alcohol. It's really, that's the message that the prohibition movement, that the temperance union put forth and that because they won that battle initially mm-hmm. that's what stuck in the history books but think about it how many men drink to excess today and come home and beat the shit out of their wives mm-hmm. is it everyone or just some mm-hmm. it's just some it wasn't everybody i mean to look right. at the temperance union literature and all of the pamphlets the propaganda that they had at the time you would have thought, oh, wow, these men really were terrible. It was horribly violent. It doesn't, that doesn't make sense. That's actually not true. That's the message that they like to, to propagate. It's not actually true. But the, what really took off was that the women were given a role. You can help clean up the country for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to abolish slavery. We are going to abolish prostitution. And we're going to abolish the sin of whiskey. 
that would not have been possible if we hadn't figured out how to filter water with the use of sand. Mm-hmm. And suddenly women had something else to drink. People had something else to drink. They didn't have to drink alcohol to get to to quench their thirst. They had water that was clean and safe. And so the Puritans, to say that it's, I mean, people always say, oh, it's so puritanical. Well, it was really kind of mid-19th century wackadoodle thinking about, you know, cleaning up the, the, the world in certain ways and making other people believe in the same exact way you did. There wasn't a lot of room. I mean, it was definitely black and white, but there wasn't a lot of room for anybody else thinking in any other way. And it also coincided with a huge number of immigrants who were Catholic, who were Jewish, who were mm-hmm. Greek Orthodox, who were coming to the, the, this country at that time, and they drank normally almost every day. They weren't. They drank wine. They were drinking beer and wine, and 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 they weren't getting drunk. But the white Protestant Americans didn't. They they didn't like that, and so it was really a way to kind of Americanize people and the temperance union workers went into schools and made the children sign pledges that they'd never drink even though they would go to church and really? you know their first communion it gave them a huge moral quandary these poor little kids you know oh you should never drink wine and at the same time their families would be preparing for first communion and they would you know, have breakdowns well you know i think that it's it's really important because we had a, like a, a rush of, you know, uh, people writing books that are, you know, pro-AA and, you know, the FIX website, which is pro. And that your book, we're talking to Gabrielle Glazer for those who just joined us, um, and she is finishing up a book called Uncorked. And what's the rest of the title so far? The Secret, the Secret History of Women and Alcohol. And this is going to come out when? You know, I don't know. I just turned it in, so it'll be out, I hope, in the next, you know, certainly in the next year. So Okay, great. The, We're going to have you on again. We have still 12 minutes to go, but I just want to let people know in case they've, you know, got to get going. There's a bunch of people, though, in the chat room. Hi, everybody. I'm so glad that you're joining us. I see Sal is there, Kenneth Anderson. Hi, Amy. She's in the chat room. Um and when this book comes out again, I'll definitely grab a, a picture of it and, and put it up on all my sites. And oh, that's great! And this is such so such an important book because you know this is a really really big problem as you have discovered by interviewing those of us that you met from Stinking Thinking and exactly, from my site. Yeah, yeah, that and, it's, go ahead, yeah. And, and people who were totally unconnected. You know, I have sources across the country who wrote to me who had many people who had tried AA and knew it wasn't for them. Or people, interestingly, people who were a little bit in the public eye, you know, legal uh, uh, authorities. I have, you know, a source who's a federal prosecutor who don't want to be caught dead near AA and didn't quite know what else to do. So the word got out and, you know, I just interviewed all sorts of people. And there's, on one hand, there are people who are aware that it doesn't work. Right. On the other hand, and they think, oh, and then there are people who 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 blame themselves, thinking that it's their fault. They oh, right. they you know they didn't do this right. And look at the blame that we put on you know Amy Winehouse. Oh well, she you know look at her, boy, she failed. Lindsay right. Lohan. Oh look at her, she failed. When right. Whitney Houston. Oh look at her, she failed. Well, no, it's actually representative of what actually happened. It's actually representative. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, Charlie Sheen. I mean, it's really bad. Yeah. There's a lot of people that committed suicide because, especially that shaming that you're talking about. So someone has 10, 13, 15 years sober, and they drink or they get, you know, they have a surgery done. And, you know, the way even they think about it, and they have, then they're taking pills. Oh, my God, I addicted to them, and now I, I'm, I broke my sobriety, and I have to start over, and now I'm a newcomer, and now I don't have the time, and now I'm not an old-timer, and... I lost my ranking, and it's real. That is cult. That is like crazy. Like it's punitive. It's humiliating. It's not at all about empowering anybody. It does not help. And these are the people. My brother-in-law committed suicide 
last summer, and he had eight years, and he drank, and he had eight years, and he needed medication long before he took it, and they, back then, they were like, you can't, you know, take antidepressants and be sober. You can't take, you know, a um, something to help them at night, and even though I had never needed anything, but I know other people who've had seriously mental problems that needed medication. That's well, and that's another really serious point, is that you know, there are several risk factors for women, and they're different from the risk factors that exist for men. They're the risk factors that exist for women to develop, to, to abuse alcohol. Let's just put it that way, to abuse alcohol, to drink right. in a hazardous way. Right. Uh, number one is having depression. Number two is having an or and or an anxiety disorder. Women are far more likely to have be diagnosed with either one of those disorders than men, and therefore, there's no better anti-anxiety medication than alcohol. Ask any doctor. Mm-hmm. Ask any doctor. And so women, what do they do? They turn to it and they, they you know, it really works. It works great. And it works great until it starts to become, you know, a problem and kind of spiral out of control. Now, does that happen to everybody? No. Does that happen to some people? Yes. But... You know, mo- the vast majority of people who, who drink in this country do so without any harm to themselves. Right, and, right. But the other thing is having been abused sexually. And the number of women who have, that is a major risk factor. I can't remember. I think the statistics vary, but I think 60% or, or maybe, you know, slightly, slightly less, maybe it's more of women who develop a dependence on alcohol or who who use it abusively have been sexually abused. Yeah. And so. that's mm-hmm. another shameful thing that people don't necessarily want to talk about and then and then that's where we get into your whole m- mission which is trying to stop the the 13 stepping and the sexual abuse that exists in AA. You know, Gabrielle, I want to I want to say this because this is one of the most horrible things that I have ever heard. Um, a blogger was writing about this. This is what sent her out of AA. I think she had like you know a couple of decades in the program, and um, the elder people that were sort of you know guiding her were telling us people who had been victimized. Actually, this person who had been raped at 11, and they were asking them what their part in it was. And she heard herself, this is, this is a story that I read last night on a blog, um, when she heard herself, what was your part in you being raped? Oh, God. Yeah, so, I can't tell you how. That's right. The sponsee started to sob. And as she watched this girl sob, she took a step back and said, no, I, I, you had no part in it. You were a child. And um, she she shortly left AA after that. But this is the kind of... Uh, horror that, um, you know, people will say that to somebody. And hence, then on Criminal Minds, they did this episode where these two go and get super payback. It's an unbelievable episode called The 13th Step. It's really not about 13th Stepping. It's about an idiot AA member telling an adult who was raped by their father as a child what was your part in it? And when he and, and he flips out and he he kills them all. He massacres the whole AA meeting. Wow! And, wow! You know, yeah, it's. I think that there's a lot of sick, really sick stuff going on that has been suppressed, like the 1950s. It's a very sick, um, uh, backward, wayward. Uh, kind of society, I, and I don't know why it's been allowed, maybe because the anonymous thing, and then over the years, what you hear here, let it stay here, kind of stupid crap they started saying about 10 years ago, and it doesn't make any sense. And then, of course, the sending of the DUIs, now then they had a steady stream of newbies who were terrified, either go to jail right. or AA. Even though, now do you know how many states it's actually illegal, like church and state? Did you ever find that out in your research? You know, I I think it depends. I think it depends. I know that Smart Recovery has something on their, um, has a database that you can can check. It depends. I know any state in the Ninth Circuit, um, it's it's forbidden to, for a judge to order, for, for a judge to order somebody because that was a ruling that came down 
gosh, I should remember this. I I I I don't know if it was 2004, 2002, 2000. I maybe it was. I don't remember. I don't remember. But any state within the ninth. It, the jurisdiction of the Ninth Circuit, certainly um, uh, that's illegal, although it still happens. When I was a reporter in Oregon up until early 2008, I had a guy call me. I wrote a story about, you know, therapists who slept with their patients and still nothing happened to them because it wasn't being, um, it wasn't therapist, uh, psychotherapy wasn't really regulated by the state. You could practice even though you, I mean, you could just put up, you know, bingo psychotherapy, a sign that said bingo psychotherapy until oh. quite recently. And um, and say you were a psychotherapist. And, yes. you know, some of these people had been, you know, had slept with their their patients and, and right, right. whatever. But some guy called and said, you know what, I've been ordered into AA. But I got a DUI and I was ordered into AA. And um, let me tell you, and then I got a counselor. I was ordered to go see a counselor who was, you know, big 12-step. Thing and so it still happens, even though mm. that was. Yeah, you know, no, I know with, too because I went to to uh, to help a girl who was um, at the Torrance Court, and as I was sitting waiting for her, uh, you know, to come up uh, on the docket, there was someone who was sentenced to 50 AA meetings. When I know that in California, and like that's against the law here, and so I went around with my card and you know and gave it to a couple of lawyers, but I really wanted to speak to the judges. You know, it's it's a big job, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's a huge so it's, job, and you're one person. It's a yeah, huge, need a huge, huge job. There needs to be a show like where the the five on Fox. It should be you know Monica, Gabriel, Hank, and Amy Lee, and we bring on hosts of like Ken Anderson and Stanton Peel, and you know it's there's it's time. It's really time. Well, and, but it's to reach slowly. Millions. It's slowly, slowly, slowly changing. I think, you know, you know, we've talked about this. There was a play on Broadway last um, summer, last spring and summer called, can I say this word? On, yes. on, on, on yes. the The mother, the motherfucker with the hat? Yeah. And it was about a predator. Chris Rock portrayed a predator within AA, a financial and sexual predator who was very religious on the outside and praying with his sponsee who was played masterfully by Bobby Cannavale. And, you know, when Cannavale had been in prison, he had been screwing her, uh, his girlfriend, and, you know, was selling vitamins to his sponsees. So the playwright, I can't remember his name, but he he was quite open about having um, had bad experiences, at least observing uh, AA. He's gonna make he, maybe you should contact him. You know what? Maybe he'd be a great guy to interview. He wrote the play and Yes, he would. He would I'll look him up. I would definitely um, try yeah. So you got to a place where uh who all did you interview? Of the people that you from Penn and Teller, um and then brought you down the, the slippery slope of sexual harassment and thirteen stepping in Alcoholics Anonymous and its culture. How many different people did you interview? I would say one of the most well, I've interviewed I you know, I interviewed hundreds of people. Hundreds oh, wow. of people. And yeah. even just just today, I just yesterday I interviewed the you know, I mean I turned the book in but I'm still, you know, kind of fiddling with it and there's some things. One of the most interesting people who I interviewed and maybe you should think about this, was a woman who is a a, a professor of psychology who wrote a paper in two thousand three titled Why AA I'm going to get the name wrong, but YAA may not be the best treatment for women. Oh, yeah, I read that paper. I tried to reach her. I, I could never find her. She is very difficult to find because she's right. retired now. But okay. she was really, um, nobody wanted to even publish that paper. She wow. was rejected by, I think she told me, a dozen different medical journals because it just was not a message that was welcome. We are running out of and, time. I can't believe it. Uh, we'll have to have you on again. Everybody well, I would be honored. Andrew Glaser, um, author and reporter, uh, who's got a new book coming out, Uncorked, The History of Women and Drinking. <laughs> we're women, get, well, we're not sure. Women and alcohol. So anybody alcohol, wants to we'll get the name. Yeah. I'm, gonna take, I'm taking a week off for vacation uh, next week, and I want to uh, thank you so much. Um, My Gabrielle, pleasure. For, thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. We'll have you on again, and I'll talk to you in just a bit. Uh, 
Everybody, thank you for um, chiming in. Remember that there's alternatives, that it's empowered, not powerless, no religious dogma. There's a lot of um, alternatives. And you can always contact me at makeaasafer at gmail.com. And again, happy holidays to everybody, and I'll see you in two weeks. Okay. Bye-bye. Happy holidays. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye.